But uh, I, I've been enjoying your interaction with one another. Being just really great. And I noticed the pink shirt. Senior pastor with a pink shirt. This is worrying. <laughs> in pink shirt in New Zealand, they look... So uh, I was interested in your notices as well. And uh, I thought the trouble was they were so long. It took you so long to say it all. I lose track what's happening on the way. So I was thinking probably if you really wanted to let everyone know what to do, it would go something like this. Woman's toilet's broken now. Whole button down now. 30 seconds. <laughs> Hey, this morning I want to share with you something to prepare you for ministry this afternoon. And uh, we're going to uh, be looking this afternoon at a time of ministry. And uh, rather than just have uh, at the end of a meeting times to pray, what we wanted to do yesterday was to build in your life understanding how to develop your spirit man, how to strengthen and build your inner life. So we focused on that yesterday and it led through to how to uh, get baptized in the Spirit, how to build your inner man through praying in tongues. And then we looked at just the flowing of the Holy Spirit, how to work with the Holy Spirit and to flow with Him. And of course, that's, I love doing that. I think that's always really wonderful. But today, I want to touch a different area in preparation for uh, ministry this afternoon. I want to pick up on uh, what SP brought on, uh, on the first night, a brilliant message. And I want to speak on healing the brokenhearted, healing the brokenhearted, because I became aware as I started to move with the Holy Spirit, just the pain that many people carry. Uh, let's just have a look in, uh, in John chapter 16 and uh, <clears throat> verse 33, John 16 verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. God's desire is we come to peace in our inner man. It's the gift of God to be at peace inside. This is what people everywhere are wanting. We were up in North Vietnam and, and uh, we were talking to uh, a North Vietnamese man there. And he said during the season when the nation was in conflict, he said, all everyone wanted was peace. It's the cry in the human heart is to come to peace. Peace is a part, it's a fruit of God's spirit at work in our life. And, but Jesus said these words, he said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is preparing his disciples, and he's saying, Life in this world is not heaven. It's the world, and it's a difficult place. And there are challenges. And he said, while you're alive, while you're living in this world, you will have tribulation. That word tribulation means pressure. Pressures. I think he was talking about Singapore. That you'll have pressures. <laughs> you'll have stresses. You'll have turmoils. You'll have troubles. You'll have afflictions. Now, Jesus is not being negative. He's just pointing out the reality. Sometimes when people come into church... They think everyone will be nice, and they find church has got a lot of broken people in them, and sometimes they're not nice at all. Jesus said, in this life, we will face troubles, difficulties. When we come to Christ, 
Certainly we come to peace in our heart, but often we have new sets of difficulties just because we're following Christ. And all over the world, many Christians are facing pressures and difficulties and opposition, sometimes persecution and death because they follow Christ. And Jesus gives this assurance. He said, be of good courage. Or in other words, he said, be courageous in the face of difficulties because I have led the way and overcome everything you could possibly face. You are following someone who has won over every possible affliction in life. He was betrayed, he was rejected, he was accused falsely, uh, he was judged by people, he was rejected by his family, rejected by his hometown, whatever, he was, uh, his finances were stolen, whatever experience that's painful in life, Jesus has walked through it and he said, I have overcome it and I've come to live in you so you can overcome these things as well. So he says, he's not saying to hide from difficulties. He's not saying to avoid difficulties. He's not saying that you should pretend that it's not difficult. He said, act courageously when you face difficulty because I am with you and I have overcome and I will empower you to overcome. So when the world looks at the church, it's not that we're perfect because we're not, but they need to see that someone within us is helping us overcome life's difficulties and setbacks. Your life is constantly on display. People see how you handle betrayal, mistreatment, injustice, sorrows, setbacks. They are watching and looking to see, are you really different to us? Do you really have something that works in life? Or is this niceness just an illusion? And we have someone inside us, the overcoming spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that enables us to overcome in life. We choose how we respond to difficulties. The first thing we saw is difficulties are inevitable. Second thing is we choose how we respond. You cannot always choose how people treat you. You're not responsible for what people do. But we are able to make choices how we will respond. And where you are today is the consequence of the choices you've made. All through your life you've made choices and where you are is the result of those choices. Your finances are mostly the result of decisions and choices you made. Your emotions, your soul, what is inside you, what is working inside you. Again, you may blame people for why you're like you are, but at the end, it's the choices you've made. What's going on in your world inside is your world. You have chosen how you'll respond. Unfortunately, we tend to make poor choices. Think about some of the people in the Bible, and the Bible's very open about bad choices and their consequences. Adam, when called by God or invited by God to talk about where he was at, God spoke to him and said, Adam, where are you? Like God didn't know where he was. Where's Adam? He's gone. He's hiding. Where are you hiding? No, God was asking a relationship question. Where are you 
today? Where are you in relationship with me today? And Adam said, well, I was afraid because I was hiding. And God then asked the second question he asked him was, well, what voices have you been listening to? Who has been influencing you? What is the primary influence that's happening in your life? Imagine if Adam had just said, Lord, I am sorry I have done wrong and broken your commands. Will you forgive me? Everything would have changed. But he didn't do that. This is what he did. He refused to be responsible for his choices. And he said, that woman, this is the one you gave me. I don't like to point it out and remind you, but she was your idea and you gave it to me. So look, listen, it's not my problem. You know, it's that woman and you gave it to me. So you guys work this thing out. Interesting that when he refused to be responsible, God stopped talking to him. And the next thing that God spoke to him was this. You must bear the consequences of your irresponsibility. So when we blame others, we then lose power over our situation and we bear the consequences of our bad choice until we come to our senses. Now the Bible's got heaps of people that made bad choices and had consequences. People who went through pain. So in the face of the pain of fear, Adam chose to hide and to blame his wife. Uh, Esau. Esau felt a deep injustice about his brother ripping off his inheritance and taking advantage of him. And the Bible says instead of resolving it, this is what he did. He comforted himself in his heart, purposing to kill his brother. So instead of resolving it, every day what made him feel better was thinking, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill him. A lot of people comfort themselves thinking how they can pay someone back. Ten years, not too long to wait. <laughs> There's another woman in the Bible called Tamar. And Tamar was sexually abused by her stepbrother. And instead of resolving the grief and the shame of her abuse, the Bible said <clears throat> she lived in enclosed life or lived in the house deeply traumatized and numbed by her experience. She never resolved it. There's no record of it being resolved. You have a look at Lot. Lot lost his wife and all his possessions when the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And instead of coming to a place of resolving these things with God, he drank a lot of wine, became drunk, and got involved in incest with his daughters and created havoc for the rest of his life. Samson. Samson was in deep pain because of the loss of his wife, and he turned to prostitutes. His life became disastrous until when he repented, God restored him and he recovered his strength again. So there's so many examples. Abraham, Abraham, when he felt under pressure and afraid of the king, he lied to protect himself and put his wife in, in jeopardy. Think about Mark, young apostle Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark, Mark the apostle. Mark the Apostle ran away from Paul's missionary trip, ran home to mum. And Paul said, I can't use this man, he's a quitter. But Barnabas restored him. And eventually Paul could say, this man is profitable to me again for ministry. Think about King David 
and he came to Ziklag and the whole city was burnt down, the finances had gone, he lost his wife, he lost his children and everyone around and under his leadership wanted to kill him, they were thinking about stoning him and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 36, he strengthened himself in God, rose above that situation and came out the other side in a greater place. In fact, when we read how his, his life works out, it says he strengthened himself in God, he found a place of encouragement and strength in God and the outcome was God gave him direction and his final state was better than the first. He got all his wife, all his children back, all the resources back, and more resources back. He had resources left over to give away to people. So when we turn to the Lord, instead of trying to cope in our own way, the outcomes will become much better. There's a real difficulty when we try to manage pain and disappointment our own way. Our tendency is to try and control it. We feel hurt, we try to manage it. I was told that there's a Chinese word for endure. And the character is the heart with a knife over it. That's a horrendous picture of people trying to control pain and bearing it in their heart. And the Bible talks about that. It says in Proverbs 4.23, protect and guard your heart for out of your heart flows the issues of your life. So what's happening in your relationships and your life is not according to necessarily all the things you've planned. It has to do with what is living and working in your heart. And so when God wants to change us, he changes the heart. Religion will try and change your behavior. So religion will always try to get you to look good behave right, say the right things, and it takes a huge amount of effort to keep it up. It's always hypocrisy, play acting, pretending to be what you're not. God says, I accept you like you are, and now I want you to change from within. I'm not worried if you've got problems, I want you just to be authentic. Isn't it interesting how God is different? And in Matthew 15, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, the things that you take into your life don't defile you. It's what comes out of your heart is what defiles your life and relationships. So I want to then look at the heart. <clears throat> so number one, everyone has painful experiences. They're part of life. Two, we choose how we respond. Three, unresolved issues will always manifest in our life. If you have issues from your family, from your background, from your life journey that you did not bring to closure and resolve, they will manifest and reappear in your life in different ways because out of your heart flows your life. What ways would they appear? Well, if you watch and observe people carefully, you'll find it comes out in lots of different ways. One of the first ways, it shows on the face. You look at people's face, study people's countenance, and watch them when they're not looking. If people are bitter, bitterness shows on the face. It shows around the mouth. I've seen some old ladies look like they've been sucking on lemons. There was a sort of a scowl and the mouth was tight. 
And, and you know, there's bitterness inside them. It, it literally shows on the countenance. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. When your heart is cheerful, then your countenance smiles. There's a joy, there's a life. But when there's fear, anxiety, unresolved issues, it comes up and shows on your face. You age. You look older sooner. And no amount of treatment can stop it because it's coming from the inside. However, today we can get a lot of treatment to, to cover it up a little bit. <laughs> Another way that the, the issues of the heart show is out of the words you speak. If you listen to people speak, you'll know what's in their heart. Your words will give you away, but the Bible says out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if a person has got bitterness in their heart, they will complain. Bitter people cannot show gratitude, they complain. So if you listen to people talking and you find them complaining and blaming, you know then there's bitterness in their heart. Think about the children of Israel. They came out, they'd had 400 years of bitter slavery, and every time they faced a challenge, they bitterly complained. First challenge God brought them to do was to deal with the bitterness in their life. So you listen to the words people speak, you find that people who have got heart issues will reveal them through the words they speak. Somehow it will slip out. They can't hold it back. It just comes out. It shows how people react when they're in conflict. Some people get really angry. Some people get withdraw. Some people uh, freeze. All kinds of ways that people act. But when people are in conflict or in difficulties in relationship, it reveals or brings up what's sitting in the heart. Sometimes the things of the heart show up in physical infirmities. I remember praying for one young man, and uh, he had a pain in his shoulder. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, this, this young man, the pain is a spirit of infirmity. He is bitter against his father. And so I said to him, how do you get on with your father? He said, I get on very, I, I love my dad. And I said, well, uh, and then I said, geez, you've got to help me here. <laughs> and, uh, and then... I said, isn't it true your dad travels a lot? And he said, that's right. I said, isn't it true also he's been away at all the key events you've wanted him to be at and you have been bitter that he's never there when you want him? And he said, that's true. And I said, you need to forgive your father because the spirit of infirmity is coming where there's been this bitterness. And he did. He got totally delivered and set free. The pain went from his body. And then he said, the doctor had told me that my back was freezing up. Now it's completely free. So it shows up in physical infirmities. It also shows up in cycles of failure in your life. So if you find certain problems repeat, there is something in your heart that's unresolved that needs to be faced. So the heart. Now, so what are some of the ways? Unresolved issues will flow in, out of the heart. In Luke 6, 42 to 45. Luke 6. Luke chapter 6. And we'll pick it up at 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree good fruit, for every tree is known by its fruit. Men don't gather figs from thorns, and they don't gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. Evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. <clears throat> now notice what Jesus said. If you look at the fruit, it will reveal the root. If you see an orange, that's an orange tree. See a lemon, that's a lemon tree. In other words, if you look at the fruit, you can always see what really is underneath and going on in the person's life. So people can be in church, 
They can praise the Lord, read their Bible, go to small groups. But if you watch their life over a period of time, then fruit that's in their life begins to be seen. Yesterday, we were talking about developing an inner life of yielding to the Holy Spirit so the fruit of the Spirit is seen, but for also other things can be seen. And Jesus said they come out of the heart. So what are some of the typical reactions people make when they are hurt and wounded? I want to share with you some typical responses people make. And as we go through the list, I want you to ask yourself, have I done that? Is that happening in my life? And of course, if you get all, you can say bingo. <laughs> I got all of them. <clears throat> so let me just give you some typical reactions. Then I want to show you how you can move out of that and into a place of healing. And at the end, I'd like us to just pause for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show us, are there areas I need to be set free today? Are there areas I need to let God into? Is, are there rooms in my heart I've kept God out? And today, <clears throat> I want to let him in. So, when people are hurt, <clears throat> we have a choice how we're going to respond. <clears throat> Remember we saw how <clears throat> hurts are inevitable, but how you respond is your choice. So, the first ways that people respond is through sinful reactions. We make a sinful response. Anger. We get angry, oh, but we cover it over and say, I'm just irritated. I, I, I was annoyed. No, you were angry. No, 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 that sounds a bit serious. I, I'm Christian, I don't get angry. Uh, I, I, annoyed. <laughs> I was annoyed with him. Oh, you were angry. You, if you don't call it what it is, you can't fix it. You were angry. The Bible says... In, in Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, be angry, but don't sin. So it says, it's okay when people hurt you and things go wrong to feel feelings of anger. It's all right to feel those feelings. They're like signals. They're like warning lights. Something's going on in your life. It's okay to feel angry about things. It's what you do with your anger is the, is the big, big thing. You can either sin with your anger or resolve your anger. You sin with your anger when you just... Some people just like a, like a volcano going off. And they just shout. And everyone around them, Wah! and they run away. Spirit of murder is coming out of their mouth. It's quite frightening, really. Uh, and other people just bury the anger. How are you? Okay. And inside, so the title says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, it's okay to be angry, but deal with it within a day. Resolve it by forgiving. And so people who don't deal with their anger become resentful. So resentment is a way of sinning. Unforgiveness is a way of sinning. Bitterness. Very sour about what's happening to me. It'll always show up with complaints and blaming. Sometimes people harbor revenge. I know what I'll do. I'll just get them back. You wait. I'll just wait my time. I'll get them back. I'll pay back. I can wait 10 years if need be. I'll get them back. See, people think that way. Esau thought that way. Every day he wakes up, he's angry. Go to bed, angry. Wake up in the morning, angry. I feel better when I think about killing my brother. That's a terrible way to live. 
Because that kind of malice and ill will will come out in many different places. It'll just, just, it'll flow out. You won't be able to stop it. It'll come out in all kinds of things. Soon it starts with one, then it spreads, and now your reaction everywhere is want to pay people back. And you wait for your chance, and then you use your opportunity to get them back. Ah, remain sweet. See? So, th- so this is sinful reactions. And then sometimes, in order to feel better, we turn to addictions, to false comforts and things like alcohol, drugs, and all kinds and forms of escape. Spend up 24 hours playing games. And you've gone away into a fantasy world. You come back out. Oh, no, I don't like what's out there. I'm in control in my world in the fantasy. A lot of, people do, a lot of young people in Asia do that. That's not you, of course. It's someone you know, isn't it? That's right. I know. <laughs> How many know someone who does that? <laughs> See, so these are. So first of all, one, the typical response people make is to sin. Sin by harboring wrong attitudes in, in the heart. Second thing that people do, which is, which is often something they're unaware of, is to make bitter judgments. It's far more frequent than you would realize. Bitter judgments. We judge people because we're bitter, and then we develop expectations about what life will give to us. And you, uh, women judge men. Men. Oh, men will always let you down. You'll never trust a man. Men, you cannot rely on men. Or women. Women. Oh, they'll always scold you with their voice. Oh, they'll always try to control you. Or I tell you, tell you what to do all the time. Women will always do that. Then it gets to authorities. Oh, authorities, they'll always abuse you, always do these things. Or it becomes racial. Whoa, Malays. Oh, Americans. You see, the tendency to make judgments is in all of us. It's very easy to do it. And you do it, and then there's a fruit of it. There's a result of it. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 7, and he said, don't judge lest you be judged. He said, for the same measure you release out to others, it'll come back to you. In other words, if you judge people, form a judgment and opinion about them, you will reap the same thing, will keep coming back into your life until it's resolved. I prayed for one lady, and I don't know why they asked me. She, the church should have really handled this. It was a kind of typical counseling thing. Anyway, the lady wanted some advice on marrying this young man. And the question was, should I marry him or not? He's asked me to marry him. That's a good one, isn't it? So I asked the question, is he a Christian? And she said, no. I said, well, we could stop right here and finish this appointment very early. But we'll go on a bit further since we've all made the effort to be here to talk. So I said, tell me about your situation. Well, she'd had a relationship with this man. Oh, it had been going on for some years, and then it had broken off, and finally she broke off with this guy. And she had a relationship with someone else, got pregnant to him, and then had a baby, and he wanted to marry her. And then this other man wanted to marry her again. She still had feelings for him. Shall I marry him? And uh, I said, well, is he a Christian? No. I said, it's unlikely then that he has changed. I said, tell me why you broke up in the first place. She said, oh, while he was going out with me, he was unfaithful to others, to me, me, with others, people. I said, really, how many times? Three other different situations. Three times he's unfaithful to me. 
I said, and I said, so he was unfaithful to you. You broke up. Not a, he's not a Christian. He hasn't changed. Now he comes back. He'll do the same. He's unchanged. He's going to do the same to you again. But she, I could see she wasn't listening. So I asked the question. I said, tell me about your parents, your relationship with your parents. Oh, I, and I said, it's particularly your father. Tell me about your father. Oh, I don't see my father. Oh, really? Why is that? Oh, parents broke up when I was quite young, about 13. I said, really? They bro you broke up. Why did they break up? Oh, he had affairs with other women. I said, just out of interest, how many? She said, three. I said, I want you to see the connection between what you are currently experiencing in your life and what you have unresolved in your past. You have bitterly judged your father. And now you are attracting, literally attracting into your life someone just like him. And this problem of unfaithfulness will continue to be in your life until you resolve the issue with your father. You have a bitter judgment. When you make a bitter judgment, it comes out of feelings of anger and resentment and bitterness. And the person makes a judgment, well, men will always abandon you or men will always betray you. I said, you're going to attract into your life automatically a man who will betray you. You are wired for that kind of man because that's your expectation. You have judged, now that's what you expect. So when we have a judgment, it's like around our life, there's this expectation, that's what people like that will behave like. And we attract only them into our life. In counseling people related to marriage and marriage conflicts, I find this issue of bitter judgments is one of the most common ones, a judgment against a father or against a mother. And usually it's in the form of like a blanket statement that's got always in it. Men will always do this. Women will always do that. The leaders will always do this. The church will always do that. And life will do this. It, it's, it's bitter judgments. And so we need to get judgments out of our heart. We need the Holy Spirit to show us the judgments so we can repent of them and renounce them and then be free to move on with our life. Otherwise, it continues to attract these problems. Closely connected with bitter judgments are what's called inner vows. An inner vow is a promise you make that you will protect yourself. So when people make an inward vow, it looks something like this. I'll never cry. I won't let them see how vulnerable I am. I won't let them know they've hurt me. I'll never cry. No man's going to make me cry. I'll never trust a man again. I'll never open my heart to a woman again. It's always got this kind of, I'll never do it, or I won't do this, or I will do something. It's got that in it. When, when people make that kind of inward resolve, always in the background, there is bitterness and anger and judgments. They hurt people. And now they're trying to protect themselves and control their world. So, of course, what happens is people make these inner vows, forget about them, and then later on, they've got a problem. Now, I'll give you an example of someone I counseled recently. Actually, there was a blow-up. The guy left. He rang me up. He said, Pastor, I'm in trouble. My wife's kicked me out of the house. And she rung the police, and the police said, I've got to leave. And so uh, uh, she, he said, I don't know where to go. I said, well, come and stay with us, and we'll help you out. So he came to stay. 
So I got to talk with him about what was going on. I got to talk to his wife about what was going on. I sat down and, uh, and I talked with the wife. I said, we're not going to talk about your marriage. I want to talk about your background. And it turns out she had a father who was very victim-minded. In other words, he was bitter man. And he blamed everyone for why he was like he was. That's typical of a victim mentality, rooted in bitterness. And not only blame everyone, he was extremely controlling. And he was very dominant. And so she made an inner vow, I'll never let any man get the better of me. I will win. So it wouldn't matter what matter the husband raised, for her, the moment he raised any issue to talk about, he's not going to get the better of me. I'm going to win. And so it never was about the argument. It never was about the situation. It was always about, I got to win. I got to get the last word in. And this conflicts would erupt out of control and never resolve. So I said, we're not going to talk about your marriage. We're going to talk about what's going on in your heart you need to resolve. And so we, uh, she, the Holy Spirit showed her the roots. We prayed. She got ministered to and set free. And I did exactly the same for the, for the husband. Interesting, for the husband, he had um, judgments against his father, his father because uh, he was passive, and his mother because she was an alcoholic. And you know what happened? He was very passive in his leadership, just like his father, and when he got into a row, he'd go away and drink just like his mother. And he'd wake up the next day and he'd hate himself because the things, I say, I'll never be like my mother. And here he is waking up in an alcoholic haze just like her. I'll never be like my father. And he's just like the father. You'd be amazed how many people say, I'll never be like my father. When I get married, I'll never be like him. I won't do what he did. Listen, every time I hear that, I know this. You're bitter, you've got judgments, you've got inner vows, and you're going to be just like them. One day you'll wake up, what happened? You understand? These are issues of the heart. And so trying to just learn about how to have a good marriage and not dealing with the heart, you, you, you struggle, but you're never really successful. Uh, another area that happens is the area of ungodly beliefs. And ungodly beliefs. In other words, we believe lies about ourselves. Lies about other people and lies about God. And these are very, and lies about life. Let me just give you an example what, it, what, what, what that might look like. Uh, usually an, an ungodly belief is a decision you make. Usually it's a decision you make. Children growing up, which are in a painful situation, come to believe certain things. Like for example, it must be my fault. It's my fault. They have a conflict in the family. The husband and wife have a conflict. Maybe there's a divorce. And the child is young, doesn't understand it. They just think, this is my fault. I caused this. Now, all through their life, every time there's conflict, you know what comes up in their mind? It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. They can't work out what really they're responsible for because the lie is telling them, it's my fault. Another kind of common lie. Most of the lies are very short. Nobody wants me. I'm not wanted. That's a lie a lot of people believe. I'm not wanted. No one wants me. No one likes me. Here's another lie that's a very common one. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Or another one like it, I'll never be good enough. Uh, a young person who grows up under a very critical parent. And so the parent is afraid their child won't succeed. 
So they begin to drive them very hard. And the child works hard, gets maybe third in class, and instead of getting complimented and encouraged, hey, only third, how come not second? And so no matter what they do, the parent is criticizing, how come you can't do better? They do 99% right, and the parent says, hey, that 1% you do wrong. And so what the conclusion is, I can never do anything right. I can never be good enough. These are incredibly painful lies that people believe. And when people believe those things, then they remain in torment and they keep producing the fruit of that. And they come in and they become a Christian and those lies still operate until they're revealed to be a lie and the truth is embraced and the lie rejected. So you come in uh, and you believe the lie, I'm not good enough. And you get into a church culture, which is not this church culture, which is very performance oriented or it's very artificial and not heart connection, then you'll feel always you're under judgment and never good enough. And you'll live even more tormented in church than you were before. Because now everyone's looking at everything you do wrong. That's why the church needs to have a culture of love and acceptance and honor for people. Because so many people coming in are broken and damaged and have lies in the heart. I'm not good enough. No one would want me. Do you have those lies in your heart? Do you have something like that in your heart? It will stop you enjoying the life that Jesus has called you to live. And of course, uh, when we don't resolve them, we're always struggling. And you know what we're struggling? I've got to struggle to be a good Christian. So you get it, and you feel angry one day, and then you go through this torment. I'm a good Christian. I can't feel angry, but I feel angry. I don't, what do I do? I'm not supposed to be angry. Christians aren't supposed to be angry, but I feel very angry. I don't know what to do. Sometimes I'm really angry, then I feel condemned. Then I try not to be angry, and then I get angry again. You understand, nothing's resolved. It's because we're believing a lie. Christians get angry. How many know that? Sometimes... After praising the Lord and worshiping, and thank you, Jesus, and Pastor, what a lovely message. They're out in the car park. Someone pushing ahead of me. And they're angry before they've even got out of the car park. See, these are issues that go on, you know. The person next, I know it's not you, it's someone you know, isn't it? You know someone like that, don't you? (laughs) Not you, though. It would never be you. And of course, when you have these things in your life, demonic spirits come in. That's how demons get access to people's lives. They come in through these open doorways and they torment people. They lock in on these problems and create a life that's tormented. It's no use delivering people of evil spirits if they don't resolve the issues of the heart. Now, I know I taught you about building your spirit man yesterday and and how to stand up and how to exercise the gift of tongues. But you know what? Praying in tongues, loud, strong, long, will not work if you've got issues in your heart. It won't overcome the issues of the heart. Issues of the heart need resolving, need resolution, need healing. So perhaps you have some of those things. Sometimes people pray, they fast, they serve, they do all kinds of things. But until you deal with the issues of the heart then you don't get set free. Now, I want you to finish. We're going to look at one passage, and we're going to look in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Jesus came to heal brokenhearted people. 
He came to heal you, not to try to make you perform more and give you more things you've got to do. He came to heal us. Heal means that we recover from the pain because the issues of the heart have been dealt with. Now, look at this. Psalm 84 and verse 4 through to verse 7. Blessed are those who dwell in your house and continue to praise you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage or journey. They pass through the valley of Baca or weeping or tears. They make it a spring or a well. The rain covers it with pools and they go from strength to strength. Everyone appears before God in Zion. Now notice here, it talks about passing through the valley of tears and turning it into a well. So what it's saying is, you can have painful and difficult and sorrowful experiences in life, but you choose whether you stay in that valley of sorrow or whether you turn your valley into a well that can bring refreshing to others. God's desire is not to spare you from difficulties of life, but to be with you in it so you overcome and turn your problems into a well that can bless others. God's work is always redemptive. So what was meant to destroy you becomes something that you can bless others with. So valleys are inevitable. The Bible talks of a whole number of valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of sorrow, the valley of trouble, many valleys in the Bible. Valleys were places where battles were fought. So valleys are inevitable and painful, but they can bring about a great change. Now notice there's a key for change in here. Blessed is the man, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Remain in fellowship. Remain among God's people. Here it is. We're going to pick up the simple keys now. Number one, verse five, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. The word strength means the ability to overcome. You either control the pain and try to manage it and go past it, or you turn to God to help you. So one of the first keys in resolving issues of the heart is to invite Jesus to come in to that place in your heart. Surrender control to him. But I don't want to. What will happen to me? Will he hurt me? No, he won't hurt you. But it doesn't mean to say it won't be painful to process this. What we tend to do is want to avoid pain at all costs. But God says, let me go into that room where you have a painful memory and let me revisit it and change it for you so the pain is taken out of it. And now, yes, you remember it, but there's no pain in there anymore. I have healed you. When God heals us, we don't forget what happened. We still have in memory what people did, but now when you remember it, instead of feeling angry or avoiding it, now you can say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. He came to me and healed me. So the first step is blessed is the man whose strength to overcome is in the Lord. Open your heart for Jesus to come into that room. Perhaps the best way to describe your heart your, your life, it's like a house with lots of rooms and we've invited Jesus into the entrance area, but there's rooms we've got locked, painful experiences and memories, and we've locked it. Nobody goes there. 
That's the room that I go into once in a while and I think, I will pay them back. I will get them back. But Jesus says, I want to go into those rooms of your life that you locked and tried to control. And only you can open the door to that. He says, I stand at the door and knock. So number one, we need to invite Jesus into the area of our life that's in pain. We need to let the physician look at the wound. I don't want to look at the wound. I don't want anyone to look at it. I just want it to be better. It ain't going to be better unless you let the doctor look at it. And for the doctor to look at it, you've got to look at it too. I don't want to look. It's too painful. Listen, have another look. And this time, Jesus is with you as you look. And he will give you hope it can change. Okay, number one. Invite Jesus into the room in your life where there's pain and brokenness. Let go control. Second, we need to resolve the heart issues. Blessed are those who pass through the valley. We don't stay in the valley. Valleys are to be passed through. Weeping last year, I'll be weeping this year. Pass through the valley. Some people are still weeping over things that happened when they were young. You talk about certain issues and tears just come, and they can't stop it because it's unresolved from years ago. They're still in the valley, the valley of their parents' divorce, the valley of abuse as a child, the valley of betrayal at school, the valley of all kinds of things. So how do we resolve it? Well, here's a few simple steps in it. The first thing is you need to face the truth. Face the truth. What actually happened? What happened? How did I feel about it? How did it impact me? How did it impact me? And how did I respond to it? What did I do? How did I react to this thing? You've got to ask those questions. Because that's what Jesus wants you to look at. To go back to what happened to you, what you felt about it, how it impacted you. You've got to ask those questions. It's just facing it like it is. And the next thing, second thing is, grieve the loss. Sometimes Christians don't understand that grief is a part of the process of resolving a loss. A relationship breaks down. Grief is the journey from the shock that this has happened through to accepting my life will move on. You lose a parent, a loved one. Grief is the process of letting go what you've lost and moving forward into a different future. Grieving is normal. Grieving is a part of the journey out of being attached to something which we've lost. You can, grie- you can, you can grieve or have grief because of the loss of a dream, the loss of a job, the loss of a career, the loss of health. I remember watching a young man in our church and he was suffering with MS a slow, progressive disease that disables the body and then results in death. And I talked with him quite a bit about it, and he said that my health goes down in steps. He said, it's like I'm on this level, and then suddenly I'll lose a portion of my health. He said, it's quite quick. could be within a day. And then there's a new level where I'm less capable of doing things than I was before. I said, how do you handle it? He says, Every time I grieve because a little me has been lost. He said there's a grief each time. So we need to grieve losses. Uh, Sometimes 
Christians are too quick to tell people to forgive. Hey, forgive. You need to forgive. See the Bible? The Bible says, yeah, you forgive. So you need to be forgiving. You're a very unforgiving person. Why you keep bringing this matter up? Forgive. Now, that's very hard. Before forgiveness, you need to admit to and acknowledge what it's cost you. This is, the, this is the challenge. Like, if someone comes up to me and says, oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry, look, I've just damaged some of your property. And uh, I say, look, it's nothing, don't worry about it. The problem is I didn't ask this question, what did you damage? <laughs> See? He said, oh, well, you know that cheap, that cheap pen you had that cost a dollar down at the, the op shop? Yeah, that, that cheap pen, I broke it. Oh, it's nothing. He said, oh, you know that Ferrari you bought and you had all the savings for all of your life? I smashed it up! Now, <laughs> different deal. It's a big difference forgiving one thing from the other. So part of forgiveness is acknowledging the pain, what actually the damage was. And this is the bit people want to gloss over. Oh, you need to forgive. You forgive. Yeah, you forgive. Get over it. Move on. Don't remind me how I've hurt you. That doesn't, that doesn't work. It doesn't work anywhere. Jesus said, forgive from the heart. To forgive from the heart, you first have to admit there's pain and acknowledge the pain. You know, sometimes the first step that I've had in working with people to come out of unforgiveness is to just validate the pain and say, you had every reason to feel angry you were treated wrongly. And you know, it's, it's like for some people, just to hear someone say that, it's like, thank you. I've been so angry all these years and these Christians have been telling me I need to forgive. I know I need to forgive. But I'm still angry. And just bringing the pain to the light and validating, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel injustice. It's okay to feel those things. Now we've validated it. You need now to come to a decision to let it go so you can move on. Forgiveness is letting something go. Letting go a demand you pay me. You owe me See, people live in unforgiveness. They're living in a demand. You owe me. That could be a simple thing like, you need to say sorry. And some people, they, kind of, they get all uptight. And you ask them, what are you uptight about? He didn't say sorry. I say, what? Didn't say sorry. He said, you're holding unforgiveness. You've got to demand they say sorry. They may never say sorry. They may have died. He died. He never said sorry. He's not going to say sorry either. There's a demand that can't be met. Forgive. Let it go. Release. Give the justice to the Lord. Give it. Bring it to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with it. Revenge is he can sort it out. That, that's a very challenging thing. So grieve the loss and then release forgiveness. If there's sin, we need to just repent in it. So Jesus, I'm sorry. I've just let this anger and bitterness sit in my heart. I've let this envy sit in my heart. I've had ill will for so many years. Lord, forgive me. I was wrong. It was wrong of me. I have justified these feelings because I blame that person for what they did. But Lord, I was wrong to hold these feelings in my heart. Yes, what they did was wrong, but what I've got living in me is wrong too. Understand that? Don't let someone else's evil overwhelm you. you it overwhelms you when you hold it in your heart. You'll let it go. Overcome evil with good. And finally, we need to renounce judgments. If there are any judgments we've made or inner vows, 
We need to renounce them. Cancel them, Lord. I renounce that vow I made. I would never let any man get the advantage of me. I renounce that vow I made that I would never cry. I renounce that vow I made. I'd never show weakness. I renounce those judgments I've made against leaders, against men, against women, against various races, against various kinds of people. I renounce those judgments. You have a look at the ethnic uh, wars and conflicts, they all come out of bitterness and judgments and injustice that's never been forgiven. And so notice here it says, blessed are they, the man who strengthens in the Lord. You open up to let the Lord in, you let the Spirit of God come in, and you let Him take you to see the truth about it, what happened, how it affected you, how you responded to it, and then you repent of the issues in your heart and release forgiveness and let go of the judgments, and you are able to come out of that valley. Blessed is the man who passing through the valley, not staying in the valley, passed through the valley and turns it into a well. So the bad experience that happened to you, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. Now the God of all comfort, comfort you in all your distress. Why? So you can comfort others with the same comfort you've received. If you've been through a painful situation, someone is waiting for you to break through so that you can bring hope to them, they can experience a breakthrough as well. You've gone through a painful situation. There's someone needs to hear your testimony. You've won a victory in it. Jesus helped you. If someone has gone through some kind of betrayal, there's someone out there who's been betrayed waiting for you to say, I understand. I have been through that. This is probably what you're feeling right now. Talk to me and let me hear your story and I'll tell you my story of how Jesus came into my valley and set me free. See, God's miracles are not just for us. They are a testimony to others that this God we serve is a loving and a powerful God who raises the dead, who heals the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. I want you just to close your eyes for just a moment now as we finish. Close your eyes for just a moment as we finish. And let's welcome the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us. Is there a place in our life where we're stuck in a valley of sorrow? We've tried to control it, manage it, hide it but it just continues to torment us. Jesus, I invite you into my valley, into my experience. I invite you to show me where I've sinned and held bad attitudes in my heart, bitterness, unforgiveness, judgment. Ask you, Lord, to show me where there's been bitter judgments in the vows, attempts to control my life. I want to be healed. Jesus, help me. Help me. Help me. I've tried all I can do and it's not been enough. Now, I take hold of your words. Blesses the man whose strength to overcome is found in connecting with you.
I've been afraid to think about that situation because I felt the pain would overwhelm me. I thought it would kill me. I've been afraid to talk about it because I thought I'd just lose management, I'd lose control. I've been afraid to go there to that situation and resolve it because I thought I'd lose control altogether. Jesus, I invite you to come with me into the room that I locked to show me, show me the sins I need to repent of, things I covered while I blamed someone else. Show me the judgments I made. Show me the ways I tried to protect myself. Jesus, I turn to you to protect me and to set me free. I don't want to stay in this valley. I want to turn it into a well. Lord, your word says, blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord, whose heart is set on process. I want to journey with you through the valley, resolving my issues so my life is sweet. I want to be like Joseph, who after 13 years of betrayal and deceit, mistreatment, could say, God helped me. God sent me. So he could prepare me for this great opportunity that I now have. Has there been sins that God's revealed? Have there been lies that you've believed? Judgments you've made? Inner vows you've made? Today, we thank you, Lord, as we come before you this afternoon, that your spirit will move to bring healing. Where there's been grief, there'll come joy and dancing. Where there's been bondage, there'll come freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me to this place, this camp, to change my life. Thank you for putting me in a church that's a family, where there are loving leaders who will help me and journey with me. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful. I can feel his presence here now. Some of you may want to just stay here for a little while. We've got a break now. Morning tea. and Not too sure what comes up next. Some of you might like to just stay just in the presence of the Lord. Talking to him. Listening to him. And then this afternoon when you come, come prepared for God to touch your life very deeply and very powerfully and help you on your journey to wholeness. Amen.